Hey everybody, how y'all doing? I'm Michael, joined by Alex as always. How's it going? And this is Follow Through Plotholes, a podcast about video game plot lines and how they have the tendency to go off the rails. And this is part three of our series on Saints Row, the volition-developed crime simulator games that very, very quickly decide to escalate to Fast and Furious levels after, oh, let's say two games. Mm-hmm. And today we are going to be covering part uh, Saints Row's three and four, and most of their associated DLCs, with one major exception. Uh, if you want to listen to previous parts, you can go to ftp.podbean.com, or if you're just here to listen to how this series just gets absolutely nuts, because this is the episode where things get nuts, you are in the right place. Uh, sit back and enjoy, because we're going to be starting right away with Saints Row the Third. Mm-hmm. But uh, first off, uh, Alex, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Just enjoying this long Thanksgiving weekend. Very good. Very good. I, being a nurse, had to work the vast majority uh, oh. of it. Yes, yeah, sorry about that. Ah, you know, it comes with the territory, so it ended up being okay. But something this happened this weekend that um, was really, really awesome. And this is mm-hmm. uh, this was something I was meaning to tell Alex before we started recording, but I just completely blanked what it was. I took my dog and got her Santa photos. Aww. Yes, I paid $55 to have my dog sit next to somebody who vaguely looked like Santa and have professional photos taken. It was great. She had a reindeer hoodie on. And every photo that we've taken of her, she looks like she absolutely does not want to be there. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That's right, people. I am one of those dog parents who dresses up their dog and gets pictures taken of them. (laughs) It's wonderful. It is wonderful, to be fair. Mm-hmm. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. And honestly, that puts me in the great mood to talk about Saints Row 3 and 4. Alex, if I remember correctly, uh, you've played Saints Row 3. You have not played Saints Row 4. That is correct. Mm. All right. You're going to. This is great because there's going to be some things in Saints Row 4 that I think are going to find very interesting in a questionable sense. Probably. I'm expecting that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I should also point out, so I played probably two-thirds of the way through Saints Row 2, mm-hmm. and then played Saints Row 3 as a completely different character. Oh, really? So, like, the narrative disconnect in my mind between those two games is, like, absolute. Mm-hmm. Those might as well not be related at all to me. Yeah, no, honestly, I can see that, because not only are the character, like, the character of the boss so much mm-hmm. different in Saints Row 2 and 3, but yeah, the level of customization you could do, yeah, you could make them as different as you possibly can. Yep, and they were very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I basically played through Saints Row 3 with Liquid Ocelot from Metal Gear Solid 4. Oh, did you? Jeez, nice. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's what was going on in Saints Row the Third for me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty good. That is pretty good. Yeah, for me, I um, I I kept the same looking character. Well, no, mm-hmm. how I how it worked out at first is that like for the second game, what I do with like uh, video games often is that I will alternate between playing a male and female character. Mm. Unless, like, the game specifically is, like, developed with one character in mind. Like, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, for instance, the developers Mm -hmm. are straight up like, no, we meant this to be a female protagonist, so I I went with that. But, so, like, my point being is that for Saints Row 2, it was like, 
oh no, I'm going to play as a female character. And in Saints Row 3, it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to switch to a male character. It was completely different. And then I was like, ah, you know, you could literally just redo your customization at any point. I'm just going to just remake my character from 2. Just go <laughs> with that. Right. So yeah, for me, I didn't quite get that same uh, that same difference in tone. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I could totally see how you how you could do that. Yep. I do really like when games let you just completely redo your character at any time. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember Sunset Overdrive let you do that, and I just completely changed my character, like, every couple hours. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's just great. Yeah, it rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it can be a little bit of a problem for me. Mm-hmm. Because, like, to take, for example, Starfield, uh. you also could do that in Starfield. <laughs> But what it meant is that every couple hours I would go like, my character's face doesn't look right. I'm going to go and try to fix it. Mm -hmm. And then I would just inevitably make the problem worse. Yeah. Yeah. You forgot that you're playing a Bethesda game where your face will never look right. That is true. Yeah. That that was the one problem. Everyone always has jowls in those games for some reason. It's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. Alex, for Saints Row the Third, what is your thoughts on like the general tone of the game? Uh, on the general tone of the game to me is like cartoonish and silly mm-hmm. and just like, I guess, anarchaic is a good way to describe it. Like just deeply irreverent. Yes. Yeah, I think that does a very good job of describing a game that literally has a button modifier in it. That's just the awesome button. Ah, uh, right. I don't know if that's the actual name for it, but it's literally a button that where it's like, okay, you can either just open a door or you can hold this button and the boss then will just dive head through first through the window, <laughs> knock the person out the other side and you could just drive off. Or you could punch somebody or you can like hold the awesome button or to do like a drop kick or a Superman punch or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like they're just straight up like, yeah, no, listen, you could just do whatever the heck you want. So yeah, no, I think that is pretty accurate because... And like that is kind of like their ethos, right? Their ethos mm-hmm. was like, "Hey, we're just going to kind of do whatever's cool." Right. And- it, it was sort of a stance of, "Hey, what if we made a good sequel to Crackdown?" Yeah, kinda, kinda. Yeah, and that makes Saints Row Four the Crackdown Two of the series in many ways. Yeah, a little bit. Kind of does. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, there are literally points where you run, you run it super fast and have to collect a bunch of orbs. So. <laughs> So yeah, the tone of Saints Row Third is very cohesive, but yeah, it is that very irrelevant, relevant, irreverent, and very over the top sort of style. Mm-hmm. Like, and you're gonna see that from like the first mission on when we get into this plot, because like just from the get go, they're gonna be like, okay, this is what we're going to set it as, and we're just gonna kind of go from there. Mm-hmm. And like. Honestly, that kind of permeates the entirety of the marketing around this. Everything from the DLC to the visual design, everything. Even, like, the very first trailer of this game mm-hmm. is basically like, hey, this is what this game is going to be. Like, are you? do you remember, like, the first trailer of Saints Row the Third? Yeah, was that the one with the Kanye song? Yeah, with Power. Yeah, yeah, with Power. Yeah, I remember that. That trailer was awesome. That may be one of the best video game trailers that has ever existed. Mm-hmm. Like, in terms of, like, this is what this game is going to be. Yeah, yeah it really was, like, a, a statement of intent of just, like, screw the old thing. We're going to, you want to jump out the window onto a VTOL aircraft? Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. A random luchador is just going to show up in the middle of this and do a, um, a spinning DDT on a person. Just because yeah. why not? Yeah, it is. A guy is going to take a bull for you who's going to look suspiciously like you, but it's actually just Johnny Gat because for some reason <laughs> they modeled the main character in that trailer after Johnny Gat. Yeah. <laughs> Which led to a lot of confusion for me <laughs> for the longest time. Yeah, so like that is kind of like the huge tone of this. And like, if you include like stuff that's in the game, like they clearly had like their they they, they had their fingers on the pulse of like what I, I think a lot of video game fans were th looking for in like a quote unquote cool video game mm -hmm. because like a lot of the stuff they also include there includes stuff like there's a radio station that's literally just Adult Swim, mm, right? As in, it's called the Adult Swim radio station, uh -huh. and it plays like stuff like um, the theme song from uh, Aqua Teen Hunger Force and stuff. Um, there's, there's a DLC pack. It, it, this actually might be Saints Row Four, but there is a DLC pack that is based off of Hey Ash, what you playing? <laughs> <laughs> Which um is very funny because Ashley Birch uh will go on to voice a character in Saints right. Row eventually. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. I and like that. Finally, is also just going to extend to like the humor as well. The humor is going to be very, very irreverent in this game, and mm -hmm. the boss is going to go from being like a complete asshole to being still an asshole, but a fun mm. one. Yeah, likable. Yeah, not vindictive and wants to murder you, but more just like, you know, I'm going to just kind of like break shit and go whoops to the camera. Mm -hmm. Finally, like the jokes are just going to land. Mm-hmm. The jokes in the cutscenes are actually going to land while still being bombastic and over the top in a way that I think a lot of the jokes don't land anymore because, well, it's 10 years ago at this point. Right. But there's still some, like, things in there that are really good. Uh, okay, I keep saying this is one last thing. This is the actual one last thing. Mm -hmm. The final thing they do that I think sets this game's uh, tone over the top um, and makes it just so much better than Saints Row 2 is that... They actually do a good job of making you care about every single one of your crew. Yes. Saints Row 1, the crew may as well not exist at all. Like, yeah, there was Troy and there was Dex, uh, whatever. Johnny Gad, they at least try with a little bit, but it's kind of whatever. Mm -hmm. Saints Row 2, yeah, I guess Shandy's pretty cool. And like, Gat has more of a personality now that's like more fun. Mm -hmm. But like, Pierce is just like a walking joke, for instance. Every other character in that game, like Veteran Child, might as well be ignored. Right. Like, in this game, you actually, they actually make, first off, they make Pierce a likable character. Mm-hmm. Shondi has, like, a very interesting transformation into a completely different character, but one that's actually going to be consistent, given what happens in the game. Right. Every character that they introduce past this point, with maybe one exception that we'll get to, Ends up, like, working really, really well from, like, the Luchador that you recruit to, uh, to Violo, like, who works with, like, one of the rival gangs, to Kinsey, to what have you, all Oleg. They all end up, like, having distinct personalities that actually play off the boss in some really good ways. And they're just willing to have fun with these interactions as well. My favorite example of this is that in Saints Row 2, I don't know if you remember this, but if you're driving around and in your car and certain songs came on the radio, mm -hmm. the boss would just start singing along with them. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And it happens incredibly rarely. Mm -hmm. So rare that when it first happens, it's an incredibly pleasant surprise. And then it is super frustrating later because it just never happens again. <laughs> 
in this game, it they just make it happen early on where the boss is just driving around with Pierce mm-hmm. and um uh Sublime comes on. Yeah. And the boss and Pierce just start singing along to it. Oh, and it's so good. It is so good. Because they are so bad at it, but they're just uh-huh. like joking around with each other about how they're kind of messing up the lyrics and whatnot. It's so, so good. And that's basically like the vast majority of interactions that you have with your crew in this. It's so good. It's great. Yeah. So I could sing the praises of Saints Row the Third for probably the next hour or so, but we probably should actually get into the plot. Mm-hmm. So Saints Row the Third starts strongly. Yes. By starting out with a Star Wars style crawl that is uh, admittedly to Arxat, uh, uh, Thrusa? The, the, the song that is from Space Odyssey, 2001 uh-huh. Space Odyssey, uh, that reads Conquest, the story of human history. It says time immemorial. Great leaders have risen from humble beginnings to do shit. <laughs> And the do shit happens right when the song goes, da, da, and you know, you hit like the drums in the background. It's absolutely perfect. Yes. And so it continues with, and so it was the Third Street Saints. Since conquering Stillwater, the once small time street gang has evolved into a media empire. <laughs> a Saints movie is in development. Johnny Gat and Shawnee are pop culture icons. And Pierce, well, who gives a fuck about Pierce? <laughs> So the scroll continues on past this point, but honestly, it tells you exactly what you need to know. Mm-hmm. They are not just a small time street gang anymore. They are now maybe the most popular people in the world. Shawnee might as well be Taylor Swift. You might as well be Tom Cruise. It is great. Mm-hmm. It's also a very clear like meta commentary on the state of the franchise. That mm-hmm. like, oh, we we didn't expect this to be this successful. No, yeah, absolutely not. And it is, so I guess we're just gonna... We're here now. We are going to lean incredibly hard into this. So yeah, the game itself proper opens with Pierce just getting the shit kicked out of him. <laughs> until he gets a Saints Row branded energy drink and turns into a black exploitation star as he just vaporizes <laughs> the gang and then does a dunk. We then learn the Japanese commercials and the Saints are watching it on Johnny Gat's phone as they take an elevator up to a bank robbery with the intention of bank lobby, I should say, with the intention of robbing it, all while disguised as Johnny Gat. <laughs> like they have John, like giant Johnny Gat, like um, like uh, helmets on and whatnot. And like they're with somebody by the name of Josh Burke, who's an uh, an actor who's going to be playing, I believe, the boss in the Saints Row movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, "Wait, so you're just dress up as yourselves?" They're like, yeah, who doesn't want to be Johnny Gat? He's like, sure, okay. So, Josh Burke is known for the va- as being the vampire hunter Nightblade, mm. and also for being just hopelessly in love with Shandi. Uh-huh. He's a, I like him a lot in this game, because he he's a great. very hopeless, like, Tom Cruise-like person. Mm-hmm. And he is wonderful. So, it, it gets even more wonderful, because, like, Burke, like, really wants to get into the role. So, like, to get to the lobby, he immediately jumps up to, like, uh, a table goes, yeah, nobody moves, nobody dies. And like, Shanti's like, Burke, settle down. Settle down, you're being a dick. Because <laughs> it turns out this is not the first time they've done this, and everyone's like totally cool with the Saints being there, robbing them. <laughs> they're like taking pictures with them, the boss is signing autographs and whatnot, and honestly, they're just being kind of bored about the whole thing. Mm. And like, Burke's like, wait, what? You're not, what, you shouldn't you be gangsters? 
They're like, nah, man, that's that's kind of like rude to be like that. He's like, and so Brooke's like, well, you guys are kind of like a bunch of pussies. <laughs> and so that goes on until one, the tellers just like the tellers just start pulling guns on the saints to start shooting, much mm-hmm. to the surprise of the boss and everyone. So they shoot their way to the vault as they basically fight through an army. They blow mm-hmm. the vault free as a saint's helicopter shows up, picks up the vault, and flies away with the saints on top of it. As th- so, like right away, they're just like, "This is the first mission of the game," uh-huh. and every mission is going to be like this. Like sometimes they'll be a little bit more laid back, but it's more like it's like they dialed it up to fifteen, and occasionally they dial it down to thirteen on a scale right. of one to ten. It, it's like it tries to keep to this like philosophy of if this mission isn't cool why is it in the game yeah exactly exactly and i'm gonna tell you this now they're gonna hit more often than they're gonna miss yeah i would agree with that and this mission is certainly no exception because yeah like the vault is hitting like built like skyscrapers and whatnot like the boss is like having to like falling off to like the side grabbing on and having to shoot helicopters and stuff Mm mm-hmm like all the while, the police are like pursuing them, and they're like, "Hey, please stop killing us! Can you please throw <laughs> down your guns and also sign some autographs? <laughs> Can you please hurry up and get arrested? My son wants to be Shandy." <laughs> <laughs> so eventually, they do get arrested, and in jail, uh, Johnny is like, "Man, we just kind of gotten soft." And the boss is like, "Well, you know, our brands are bringing in a lot of money," and he's like, and "So Johnny's like, is that what we're about now? Just about the brand?" He's like, there has to be more to being a saint. So it's after this that two twin women show up to take the saints to meet their boss. And by meet their boss, I mean they get on a cargo plane and just start flying up to the sky. So it turns out this bank they robbed was owned by somebody called The Syndicate. The Syndicate is a multinational crime organization run by Philippe Loren, a Belgian. So... Philippe is basically a Bond villain, suave and sophisticated, mm-hmm. but not above cutting you in half with a laser to get his way. Like, he wears basically, like, an all-black suit with, like, red accoutrements. And it turns out they're expanding it to Stillwater. And they're like, hey, listen, Saints, you'll be allowed to live and run the Saints Ultor Media Group, because, yes, they did merge, mm-hmm. in exchange for giving us 66% of your profits. So the Saints immediately say no, Gat basically breaks out of, like, basically, like, uh, literally pure steel that's holding him down. <laughs> mm-hmm. Stabs Philippe, blinds him in one eye, and gets the boss and Shawnee free. He then tells the boss and Shawnee to get away, and uh, as the boss and Shawnee are about to jump out of, uh, of the airplane, Johnny just gets gunned down. He's dead. Mm-hmm. So, Johnny Gat is dead, uh, and the reason being, oddly enough, is because his voice actor, Daniel Day Kim, I. Uh, he was in the midst of uh, being one of the lead actors on Hawaii Five O, and right. just did not have time to do this. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. So, unfortunately, Johnny is going to get written out, but don't worry, mm. he will come <laughs> back much later. <laughs> yes. So, Shani is absolutely bummed about this. She is just devastated, but she cannot think about this too long because the Mbili are basically thrown... She's, like, thrown out of the airplane, and the boss has to jump out after her, and like, while gunning down, like, um, various members of the syndicate who are, like, skydiving after him to uh-huh. kill him. Catches Shawnee in air, like, opens up the parachute, only to find that somebody's trying to fly the plane into them. So he <laughs> drops Shawnee again, lets go of his parachute, 
shoots his way through the window of the plane, falls through the plane, grabs another parachute on the way out, dies down, grabs Shawnee, opens the parachute, and then they're fine if they land in the city of Steelport. Oh, it's so good. That freaking just, yeah, fall through the plane yeah. scene. It's so good. It's it so well so done. It's so good. It really is. That's the second mission in the game. <laughs> it is nuts. <laughs> yeah, so they land at Steelport, and Philippe puts out the call that the Saints are just not welcome there. Because this is mm-hmm. like prime grounds where like the syndicate operate out of. Uh, they're to be gunned down on site. All their money is hacked out of their accounts. As the Saints vow revenge for Gat's death. So it's important that right now that we talk about kind of um, what has kind of like changed with each of the characters, so, you know, our main crew of the boss, Shondi, and Pierce. Mm-hmm. Starting with Pierce, not a whole lot's actually changed. Pierce is actually very similar to how he was in the previous game, except less of a dick. Mm. Like he's still kind of like hapless, right. um, trying to come up with overly elaborate plans and whatnot. But People seem to actually treat him with a little bit more respect this time around. Right. And he just seems to get along with people. So there's that. Otherwise, his personality is roughly the same. Right. But they've sort of positioned him to grow from there. Yeah, totally. Rather than just be stuck in that cycle. Yeah. I think they recognize that people did not like Pierce at all, Mm -hmm. which I guess is why the opening crawl literally has who gives a fuck about Pierce. Right. Uh, And they decided we should maybe tweak that a bit. Right. But I do like that. Sorry, I do like that. Rather than try to totally revamp him, they were like, "Put him in the same place, but move him from there." Yeah, yeah, just tweak him a little bit. Just move the likability up a bit. So Shandi's the other next character, and she I think she's the one who's undergone a radical change. Yes. So the previous game, Shandi was a woman with uh, blonde dreadlocks. Like, kind of like uh, goth makeup with a ton of piercings and whatnot, whose main thing was just that she did all the drugs in the world and slept with everyone. Mm-hmm. This Shandi has personality is kind of like 180. Mm-hmm. She is now like more like the business face of the Saints now. Like, she runs her own um, reality show uh, called, I think it's called I Slept with Shandi or something similar to that. <laughs> it's a Shandi reality dating show. Right. And. Her thing is that she's now far, far more serious. Like, her hair is now, like, very well done. Uh, Her clothing is completely different. And she is... You don't really get to see her too much of her personality before Johnny dies. But after Johnny dies, she just gets incredibly serious and just, like, laser-focused on getting revenge. Mm -hmm. To the point that she is kind of an asshole throughout this entire (laughs) game. In a way that, like... She's like basically like, I don't want to take shit from anybody. I don't want to see us slacking off. We are here to do one thing and one thing only, and that is to murder everybody. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who are not going to like Shandi's character in this. I actually kind of do. I kind of do, too. I think it works for like what's going on. Mm-hmm. It does, yeah. Like for the circumstances that have happened, and also because Shandi from the previous game was a little one note. A little bit, yeah. Which, to be fair, every character in Saints Row 2 was a little one-note. Yeah. But, like, she was especially one-note in a way that wasn't super memorable. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think they do a very good job of basically positioning herself as the responsible mom of the group. Right. And then finally, there's the, the boss. So the boss in the previous game was a vindictive asshole who was just there to shoot guns and murder his way to the top. 
Yeah, basically an anti-hero kind of being set up for a villain arc. Yeah, kind of. And they decided to not go all the way with that villain arc. Because in this, he's he is more or less like a mischievous imp, if anything mm-hmm. else. Yeah. Like, he is still going to try to murder his way to the top. But he's going to do so with a smile on his face while having fun. Right. It's kind of an 80s action hero type. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like, somewhat quippy one-liners, like, just, like, wanting to, like, find, like, a good angle to, like, have, like, fun interactions. Still an asshole, but when you can go, like, oh, God, you know. Yeah. That the boss, he's just an Mm -hmm. asshole. Fun to be around. Don't get him too drunk. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of, like, it's kind of, like, a very Pierce-like transformation where it's, like, if you really look at it, his personality is not that much different. Mm-hmm. He's just more fun about it now. Right. And that's kind of like our three characters. And then there's Johnny, and he's dead. That's his big change. Yep. So that is the state of things as uh, the boss and Shawnee now need to figure out what the hell they're going to do in Steelport now that they have no money, no crew, uh, no hideouts, and kind of nowhere to run. So the plan is, is to get all the members of the Third Street Saints from Stillwater to Steelport. But without money, they're going to need guns. So they decide to immediately rob the National Guard. (laughs) (laughs) Which is fun because, like, the boss tells Shawnee this. Shawnee's like, this is a fucking terrible idea. What do you mean? We just got done getting shot at. You want to go get shot at more? And the boss is like, yeah, I know. Sounds like fun, right? (laughs) So, like, you immediately go and do that. And that involves stealing, like, literally a bunch of UAVs and shooting Predator missiles at people. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that you can literally just equip from that point forward as part yep. of your loadout. Yep. The, the, this game is not afraid to give you fun things very early on, which yes. is great. It, it will ramp up your power level very quickly and not care. Yep. Not at all. I mean, this is a game that literally, like, you use money in order to buy upgrades. And one of the upgrades, and it's not really that expensive an upgrade, it's just infinite ammo. <laughs> hmm Yep. Because they know what they want to be, and it's fine. Yeah. So, you fight off the National Guard. Pierce shows up with all of the Third Street Saints in, like, just, like, a fleet of helicopters. Mm. As y'all literally land, steal a giant bomb that just happens to be there. <laughs> um fly off with all the guns in the world and, like, decide, all right, well, we need to get a headquarters. We need a new hideout. And it turns out the syndicate has a penthouse that's on top of uh, one of the tallest skyscrapers in the city. Mm-hmm. And so you're just going to go steal it. <laughs> and what, what may be, like, not the most bombastic missions, but might be my favorite mission in all mm-hmm. of video games, mm-hmm. where you literally are just... You start out the mission hanging out from a helicopter as Kanye West's power plays. And at any point, you just press a button and then you just dive into the pool, immediately get out, and you just start shooting everybody. I don't think we use enough good needle drops in video games. Mm-hmm. I think, like, a good licensed background track to a bombastic action scene is just highly underrated in video games. It really is. Oh, it really, really is. And one thing that Saints Row the Third is going to do so consistently well, because this is mm-hmm. not going to be the first time in this game they're going to do this. Yeah. It's going to be the first time. It's not going to be the last. Uh-huh. It's just be like, hey, here's just this incredibly appropriate music track that mm-hmm. is just going to accompany this mission. It's going to make you just so damn pumped. 
Yeah. Like, my mind jumps back to Halo 2, mm. the one mission near the end where Breaking Benjamin starts playing as you stroll into the throne room to gun down, like, a dozen elite guards. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's not even that good an example of a needle drop, but it just feels so good. It does. It really, really does. Yeah, like, yeah, speaking of a series that's really good about that, Halo, jeez. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I say that, they literally get almost everything on point in this game. They get almost everything on point. Yes. It's amazing. Their their style and presentation is, like, damn near flawless in this game. Mm-hmm. It really is. So, point being is that you end up murdering everybody there. You let the saints in. You murder more people. You defuse some bombs. And now you have a headquarters. <laughs> uh, I think literally one of the first things they do is they just give you a jet that you can just fly around in. Yeah, I think so. Um, that are an attack helicopter. It's one or the other. Uh, because once again, they don't care. They're going to give you powerful things. Right. So one thing to that, and I, I think you made this point probably last episode, and I kind of agree with it, is I do really like the way Saints Row 2 makes you like feel your progress. Mm-hmm. That you start out very dingy in like a church in the slums, and you have to work your way up to having nice headquarters and lots of... Uh, fancy cars and attack military vehicles. Mm. Whereas this one just sort of gives it to you and like, here you go, have fun, kid. But also, like, as just sort of that's the narrative of this game, it still also kind of works. It does. And I think it works because they just established that, listen, the Saints are already known to be incredibly dangerous people. Right. And incredibly popular and lucrative people. So, yes, of course they would have all these things. And of right. course, they would just be able to go out and just very casually acquire this sort of stuff. Right. Like, making you start from nothing again doesn't make sense anymore. It does not, no. And that's, like, something that video games do often, where they're like, well, we gotta scale your power back down, and right. it almost universally sucks. Yeah. And here they're like, nope, here you go, man. It's God. only gonna go up from here. Could you imagine a Metroid game where you started with everything and then progressed from there? Oh, man. What yeah. would that game look like? That game would be nuts. It would be. <laughs> it would be, but they never do it. They never do. They never do. Mm-hmm. You could kill God by the end of that game. You could. You know what game the series did do that, though? Uh-huh. Banjo-Kazooie. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Banjo-Tooie. You start out with every single ability from <laughs> Banjo-Kazooie, and they just add on from there. Oh, man. More games need to do that. Mm-hmm. They really do. They really do. And then, yeah, for the third game, they just went, well, Banjo got fat. That's why he's bad at things now. Yeah. And it's like, he perfect. Can, he can make cars with his mind, so. So, yeah, honestly, it's fine. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the state of things going on right now in Steelport. So we might as well get back to the Syndicate and talk about them for a bit. So, the Syndicate is, once again, a multi-pronged criminal organization. And by that, I mean they are comprised of three fun gangs for you to take down. Wow, in a Saints Row game? I never would have imagined. <laughs> yeah, they throw away and a lot of things, but they're not going to throw away that, let me assure you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and their colors, are, by the way, are going to be like neon magenta, neon blue, and neon green, too. Yeah, okay. That's, those are new colors, technically. They are technically new colors, yes. So, first are the Morningstar, which are under the personal control of Philippe, who also just runs the syndicate in general. Mm-hmm. 
So the Morningstar are a very formal gang who's like essentially European. Mm-hmm. Uh, the men wear suits. The women wear black open coats with high heel boots. And they are exceedingly, once again, exceedingly European and are basically the brains behind the operation of the syndicate. So Philippe is assisted by a set of twins, uh, one named Viola, who's voiced by Sasha Gray, mm. and another named Kiki. Kiki being the character who much, much later in the series is going to be voiced by Ashley Birch. I mm. forget who she's voiced by in this game. Next up are the Luchadors. They specialize in gambling and selling steroids and are led by Kilbane. <laughs> Kilbane is a little luchador who grew up in Mexico until he had to flee when he beat an opponent to death in the middle of a match. His group is basically the muscle. Mm-hmm. So, according to the uh, main writer of this game, Stephen Jaros, Kilbane it was supposed to be the boss's dark foil. Somebody who's uh. basically someone who wants what he has and is willing to be as ruthless as possible to get what he thinks he deserves. Okay. Basically, kind of be like the boss from the previous game. Right. I don't know if they quite succeed with that. It, personally. Yeah, it didn't quite pull it off. Like I can see it now that it's been pointed out, but it doesn't really come across. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really doesn't. And we're gonna get we're gonna get to like how Kilbane is kind of a ruthless jackass throughout this game. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's not quite to the same level of what the boss does. Mm-hmm. Nobody gets buried in this game, as far as right. I know. Finally, there's the hacker collective known as the Deckers, led by <laughs> Matt Miller. Uh, Matt Miller being a Wafus British man who's like kind of like a goth essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, very timid and deferential, unless it involves computers, in which case he's like very cocky and full of himself. The Deckers themselves are basically cyberpunk characters with katanas. Right. Like they wear a lot of neon like black black leather jackets with like neon outlines and whatnot. Um they're surprisingly unmemorable, though they have one of the best missions in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I've said that about five times already. It's <laughs> what happens when nearly every mission in this game is like the best mission that's in the game. Yes. So the Saints do a bunch of stuff to disrupt the Syndicate's operations to Steelport, mostly focused on stealing all the money the Morningstar have. Mm. Uh, eventually, they decide that they need to flush Loren out. So they hit their main drug operations downtown, forcing him to go back to his evil skyscraper. And it literally is an evil skyscraper. <laughs> yep. So... Pierce, the boss, and Shondi slowly walk their way to the Syndicate HQ, where that giant bomb they got from this National Guard, they set up in the basement. Mm-hmm. They fight their way through a bunch of giant men called Brutes. Like, it turns out they have a cloning program for some reason. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I totally forgot about that part. Uh, and this also means that I kind of forgot about the person all these clones originate from, because they find this giant naked man just <laughs> all chained up Bane style in the middle mm-hmm. of the skyscraper by the name of Oleg. Oleg's cool. I like him. Yeah. He's a very, very giant guy who's just like, I just want to punch people and play chess. Mm-hmm. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> uh, if you let me go free, I will murder everyone in the syndicate for you. And the boss is like, that sounds great. So they barely miss Philippe at the top on the top floor. Like they get up to his office and he's like, ha, taking an elevator down to the basement. And so they're like, damn, he's going to get away. So the boss decides, hey, there's this giant like like statue slash chandelier that's just like suspended on the top floor. And like the the entire uh, skyscraper is basically one giant like cylinder mm-hmm. that's like open all the way to the bottom. So mm-hmm. the boss is like, what if I were to just loosen that and roll, like, basically ride it all the way down? Uh-huh. 
which is exactly what he does. <laughs> and it leads to a really great scene where Philippe just like walks out of the elevator in the basement, think he's got away. Casually lights a cigarette as this giant thing just lands on top of them, <laughs> crushing him. And then it just rolls down the street, crushing people like people and cars in the streets as everyone <laughs> runs away screaming. It is so good. It's so good. So yeah, uh, the leader of the syndicate is dead. <laughs> yep. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Don't need to do anything else. <laughs> Except, of course, that wouldn't be much of a game if that was the case. Nope. So... That's one down, and so now they're going to decide to set their sights on uh, this, the luchadors and the rest of the syndicate next. But how this ends up going down is that they decide, well, we need to um, we need to bury Johnny first. They don't have his body, but they're going to have the casket and everything, and they're going to go basically over this new bridge that was built in Steelport to uh, honor... Uh, Honor the late husband of a, a, a senator in the U.S. Congress. Uh, I believe it was the previous mayor of Steelport that you may have murdered, if I remember correctly. Oh, right. <laughs> so that's all kind of like happening and whatnot. And Kilbane and the Luchadors decide to ambush the Saints there by basically firing a bunch of rocket launchers at them. Like you have to drive like through the streets and whatnot. You get blown off the, the boss gets blown off the uh, side of the bridge. And they go like, huh. Well, that's, um, that's kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Shawnee's, like, absolutely apocalyptic about this, but Oleg's like, hey, listen, man, just have some patience. I know some people who can help us take him down, and we're going to need as, mo- as many friends as we could possibly get. In the meantime, this senator is like, they just messed up my late husband's bridge. I am going to get my revenge. <laughs> and so she basically goes back to Washington to basically plot out her own little plan to get back at the Saints. <laughs> So, who are these new allies you're going to get? The first one you're going to get is Kinsey Kensington, former <laughs> FBI agent and conspiracy theorist. <laughs> Alex, how do you feel about Kinsey? I like Kinsey. I Kinsey's like, fun. I like Kinsey a lot, too. The writers are also going to like Kinsey a lot. <laughs> because she's going to go from supported character to major character next game mm-hmm. to co-main character in one of the DLCs. <laughs> And to be fair, she is a lot of fun. She is. So Kinsey is a woman with uh, strawberry blonde hair, glasses, uh, who is basically, what if Mulder and Scully fused and has severe <laughs> agoraphobia? <laughs> like, she is basically like, the aliens are out to get me. I am going to be underneath this table on my laptop. Do not talk to me. <laughs> she is incredibly intelligent and accomplished hacker who, much like her arch-rival Matt Miller, is incredibly cocky about her skills. Unlike Matt, though, that cockiness extends to literally everything. Mm-hmm. And it is a little bit lighthearted, but it's still like, hey, listen, she probably, she literally thinks she probably could just, like, shoot her way through an army if she wanted to. Mm-hmm. She's not going to do it. She's going to let someone else do it. But she's, she's the person who's like those guys who are like, yeah, I could fight a wolf. Right. <laughs> they won't they will seek out the wolf, but they are going to claim they can fight that wolf. So her story is that she was on verge of outing the syndicate as a thing that existed before she ended up getting kidnapped by the Deckers. And so after you rescue her, she directs you to another possible ally, Angel de la Muerta and Zemos. Angel is a luchador, an actual luchador, not part of the mm-hmm. luchador gang, although he was part of the luchador gang at one point. Mm who was Kilbane's tag team partner down in Mexico. 
They are really good friends until they both got famous. Until which after that, uh, Kilbane start basically started taking all the credit for himself. Uh huh. Even going so far to steal the tag team nickname "The Walking Apocalypse" for himself, instead of dubbing Angel as the Herald of the Walking Apocalypse. <laughs> Eventually, this came to a head where they had a mask versus mask match where Angel lost, forcing him to be unmasked and essentially destroying his career. Mm. He obviously wants revenge on Kilbane, so he happily-ish joins the Saints after they help him escape an ambush. His personality is basically like male Shandy. He's mm-hmm. very, very angry and just stone cold set on revenge. He is also voiced by Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Hulk Hogan does not do a good job in this game. No, no. <laughs> but you wouldn't expect him to. That's not the point. That is not the point. It is stunt casting. Not the first st- bit of stunt casting that's going to be done in this game, too, by mm. the way. Um, although the other one is going to be a lot more fun. Yes. So the other character is Zemos. Uh, Zemos is a pimp who always speaks in autotune. That's his character. <laughs> there is literally nothing else to him. It's it's still the same Saints Row Riders, guys. I don't know mm-hmm. what you want. Yeah, not every character is going to be a winner. There's a there's a ton of missions with Zemos too. Mm-hmm. There are a ton, and the joke with him is just that he speaks an auto tune and he says pimpisms. It's like, okay, cool, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, you could probably fit all that into one mission, but okay. Yeah. All right. Fine. So back with the syndicate, Hillbane calls a meeting to elect a new leader of the syndicate. And by elect, he means make himself in charge. Right. Something neither Matt Miller or the twins really care much for. This ends up not mattering, though, because while they're, like, arguing about it, Kiki, one of the twins, decides to be like, yeah, whatever, Eddie. You want to be a leader? Sure, fine. Which is a immediately, like, a bad thing to do. Because mm-hmm. that is, he's not being referred to by a stage name. Like, he, in a very, like, don't call Hulk Hogan Terry Bolia sort of move. Mm-hmm. You don't call Kilbane Eddie. And so he's like, gets very, very threatening with her. And it's just like, want to do that again? Hmm? Hmm? And like, he immediately coerces them into working with him. So they have like a failed attempt to kill the Saints with a bunch of hoes that goes very, very poorly. And Kilbane is like, and this is like a plan that the twins put together. And so he's like, listen, I'm just kind of done with y'all. Mm-hmm. And so Kiki is just like, well, you know what? I don't even want to work with you, Eddie. So whatever. And so Cobain just like grabs her by the neck and just snaps her like with his hands. Mm-hmm. And like Viola's like distraught by this, like her sister's dead. And right. so Eddie is like, it's okay. We only need one of you. And he's like, listen, Viola, we could do great things together. So why don't you just keep work for us? We just put this behind us. We'll make a lot of money. And Viola's like, all right. Yeah, no, we, we should definitely do that. I'm going to immediately start ratting out all your plans, your plans to the Saints in a very open manner now. Right. Uh-huh. So the syndicate is now reeling because of all this, but things aren't going well for the Saints either, because after the boss meets with Pierce, I believe it's Pierce anyways, in a, like a park, um, they all of a sudden just get pursued by a bunch of military vehicles, mm. like APCs, tanks, Vital jets and whatnot. Mm-hmm. U.S. Special Forces are just coming down on them. And, like, the boss and Pierce are like, what the hell is going on? Um, Like, oh, yeah, because they, they were there to meet Viola, because Viola basically just wanted to join up with the Saints formally. Right. And this is all going down, so they're also having to deal with that. And so, like, it turns out they have, like, aircraft carrier. 
<laughs> Not just an aircraft carrier, but an airborne aircraft carrier? <laughs> oh, right. They freaking do have a helicarrier. Yeah, they have both a regular aircraft carrier and a helicarrier. Oh, man. So these people are STAG, the Special Tactical Anti-Gain Unit, which is just S.H.I.E.L.D. from Marvel Comics. Yep, pretty much just straight-up S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it turns out uh, that senator basically convinced Congress to authorize more or less the invasion of Steelport by these people <laughs> <laughs> in order to basically murder all gangs. <laughs> it, it does really feel like they got to this point of the game and were like, Okay, this gang-on-gang violence crap is boring. We've done this before. What else we got? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, you just literally murdered the leader of the syndicate. Like, yeah. you know you're not going to take the rest of these people seriously. So, guess what? Yeah. You have to fight the military now. Like, we could say, okay, there's a new leader of the syndicate. Murder the leader of the syndicate again. Mm-hmm. Or we could throw S.H.I.E.L.D. and their helicarriers at you. Yeah, what if we did that? They have laser guns. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and honestly, right choice. Correct choice, because this is still a Grand Theft Auto clone, which means now that there are laser tanks being thrown at you, Mm -hmm. you can just take one. Yes, and in fact, (laughs) it's not going to be long before you just are going to have a Beetle jet. Yep. That literally has, like, basically a plasma cannon on it that just, Mm -hmm. you just hover above, like... There are activities where you have to clear out, like, gang strongholds, and gang strongholds are just, like, ten gang members hanging around in a parking lot. <laughs> and you can just fly over the real jet and just, like, rain down just, like, a circus of missiles or just, like, a plasma cutter on them. And just, like, eliminate them in, like, a minute flat. And it's so good. It feels so good it's every so time you good. do it. It's so good. It's so... And it, it... Again, it makes me think of, you know, in Grand Theft Auto 3, getting the tank was a big deal because mm. you had to get to five stars you had to survive and outrun the cops mm-hmm. long enough to get to five stars before they called in the military mm-hmm. then you had to get around the tank maneuver yourself into a position where you could steal it then mm-hmm. you had to get it back to your garage without it getting blown up yep. and it's like that was like a whole thing it was like the penultimate activity of grand theft auto 3 mm-hmm. here the game hits a halfway point and they're like you want a tank here, here's a tank. It's it's like a hover tank with laser can you want two? Yeah, you you have as many as you want, honestly. Here's a here's a homie that you can call on your cell phone that will literally just bring you one at any point. <laughs> we don't care. Screw it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like that level like we keep talking about that. And like that mm-hmm. level, like in other games, like where you just have that much power can sometimes get very boring very quickly. Yeah. It somehow never does in this game. Somehow, yeah. I, I think, again, it's just their mission design is really on point, mm-hmm. And it just feels good, even when you have that much power, to use it to blow people up. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it, uh, it, it turns out that when you have really good mission design, it doesn't matter what tools you have. Yeah. It's going to be kind of fun regardless. Kind of, yeah. I mean, you might be asking, so they give you all this stuff, like, is it overpowered? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. the point. <laughs> it is still fun. It is still fun. Yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't make the game too easy or anything like that. It's just like, mm. you they just give you interesting ways to mow down your enemies. Yep. So, all of this happens, the Saints get away, and then a press conference is held where the leader of Stag, Cyrus Temple, a man who's just personifies the phrase and is justifying the means, mm-hmm. uh, 
gives a, a statement as to why they are occupying, um, more or less occupying Steelport. Uh, I, I gotta say, as someone who, like, plays and runs Dungeons & Dragons games, it's mm-hmm. really hard to come up with names. Yeah. These people are fantastic at making names. They really are. They really, really are. Cyrus Temple is so strong. It is. Such a good name. Yeah, it it, it gives you the exact image of in your head of what this person is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's assisted by uh, his, the equally no-nonsense Kia, basically his uh, second-in-command, as mm-hmm. they basically detail how they're going to occupy the city until the gang problem is solved. Uh, a reporter basically chimes in, it's like, hey, so uh, is this like a military occupation? Don't you think this is a little overboard? And so Cyrus is like, let me tell you about a story of a woman named Jessica, a poor woman in Stillwater who got crushed by her gang member boyfriend's monster truck. What if that was your daughter? And it's like, ah, that's a funny call. That's a fun callback yeah. to Saints Row 2. Because she was evil as hell in that game. <laughs> but it shuts him up. And so, yeah, it turns out the public is in favor of these extreme measures. Which makes this a really funny thing where the Saints are now going to be hunted down by the military while everybody's like, yeah, we support this. Buying Saints Row, like, Saints Row branded <laughs> energy drinks. <laughs> it's good. So it, it is almost like there's social commentary in this game, but really it's just funny. It's just funny, yeah. I don't think they were trying to go for any sort of messages in I this don't game. think so. I think it's just comedy. It just is. <laughs> so... You're probably wondering how the Saints are going to go and deal with this new issue. Not really. Funnily enough, neither is the boss. He's like, <laughs> oh, shit, that's happening. Anyways, we need to deal with the syndicate. <laughs> it's, it's so funny how they just go like, cool. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> More hover bikes for us. More hover bikes for us. Thanks for the new equipment. So the boss starts working with Kinsey to take out the Deckers, helping her hack into their networks and slowly working to corner Matt Miller. Well, and like during this, like Stag does like attack the Saints hideout like a couple of times and they have to run away, but it's never for long. Mm-hmm. Now, meanwhile, Stag decides that they need to work on their PR because the whole like shooting people openly in the streets is not really going it's over not going well. Right. Yeah. So they hired Joshua Burke, aka Nightblade, <laughs> to basically do a commercial that is like <laughs> him walking through the neighborhood being like, hey, I'm Nightblade. And, you know, much like my friends at Stag, I know what it's like to take care of the enemies of the night. <laughs> <laughs> so you should team up with Stag. Look at them. They're building a playground. And remember, and he lately says this, it's okay to rat out your neighbors. <laughs> 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 so the Saints are like, huh, let's kidnap him. <laughs> <laughs> Something that Burke gets more than cool with because he yeah, huh? allows him to be like close to Shondi. Right. And he's like, Shondi, I know we're meant to be together. I know fate has brought us together here in Steelport. And Shondi's like, can we can we just give him back? <laughs> we can give him back to the stag, right? And the boss is like, nah, nah, we got to keep a hold of him. It'll be fine. I'm sure you two are going to get along. She's like, this is, this is the worst, man. This is the fucking worst. So at the same time this is happening, the syndicate puts out a hit piece on the Saints <laughs> Kilbane basically talks up to a reporter about how the Saints are the real criminals. <laughs> and like Kilbane manages to get away from the Saints after Matt Miller literally hacks a helicopter that they're on and causes them to crash. Which makes the Saints go like, okay, for realsies, we need to take the Deckers down. So 
They steal a stack supercomputer because Kenzie has a plan. She's going to matrix the boss into the Decker's Usenet server and basically mess them up from within. So, YouTube was maybe the second best uh, mission in the game where mm -hmm. you basically Tron into there and get changed into like different forms. And also, like, you get changed into like a toilet, uh, it's like a giant robot. <laughs> and then during the entire time, you're also just given a Mega Buster. Mm. Like, it's yep. literally an Arcan you can charge. Yep. And they allow you to keep that after the mission. Uh huh. <laughs> so you do that to beat up Matt Miller's avatar, and you're basically about to kill his virtual form, which would kill his real life form. Sure. Uh, but he promises, hey, how about I just work with you on something, and then I just literally leave? <laughs> leave the game entirely. Sure. So he does that. He literally submits a resignation to Gilbane, <laughs> who lets uh -huh. him go in a threatening hmm. manner, but he's still like, all right, cool. See you later, Maddie. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, Matt Miller's out of the game entirely after that. So it's with this that they decide, okay, Kilbane's on the ropes. We need to deal with Stag because they assaulted our hideout for like the third time this game and to get Burke back. And we're just really annoyed about this now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, throughout this game, by the way, you, there's like different decisions you can make. And one of them is like, you can either give Burke back to Stag and this like the last mission or, like, you can keep Stag, or keep Stag, or keep Burke, which, like, if you keep Burke, Shotty's just, like, so upset with you. <laughs> but if you do, you can, you can hire Nightblade as a hobie. Um, but, like, regardless of what you do, Shotty ends up getting kidnapped. So the boss has to dress up like Cyrus, and he takes Viola and Pierce as his prisoners to the helicarrier, where things immediately go wrong, but not before you rescue Shondi. Um... And I said helicarrier. This is when you're actually on the aircraft carrier. It's confusing right. that they have both this game. Yeah, a little bit. So you end up uh, seeking the aircraft carrier, um, which like the Saints like celebrate this win until Shandy is like, you know, this could make things worse for us. Which Pierce says, we just blew up an aircraft carrier. What else can they throw at us? <laughs> Smash cut to literally 12 hours later and now Stag has fully occupied the city and declared full martial law <laughs> and they're getting into like open fights with like the syndicate in the streets and everything uh -huh. like public opinion is now like just in the toilet like things are going bad the saints do not care <laughs> they're like huh anyways we gotta go yep. deal with Kilbane now <laughs> So the boss decides to challenge him to a wrestling match because he knows that Kilbane will not be able to resist. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean he sneaks in Angel, Angel to fight him instead. Right. It doesn't go well. Angel gets his ass kicked, so the boss <laughs> has to finish the fight and manages to demask him, turning Kilbane into Eddie and forcing him to run away. Kilbane then like is like um, the it's basically like Steelport's now going to burn for this. But in the meantime, it seems like they are seemingly defeated. So the Saints then decide to go and deal with Stag again. Uh, and they do this by basically sneaking onto a cargo plane where it's going to have a bunch of weapons they're shipping. Uh, they blow up, uh, blow up the plane, but unfortunately, it's carrying a bunch of toxic gas. Hmm. I totally forgot about this part of the game, by the way. I did not. <laughs> it does have maybe my favorite punchline in the entire game. Yes. But, um... Basically, the gas falls onto a part of Steelport and turns people into zombies. <laughs> and this leads to the Saints having an audience with the mayor of Steelport. <laughs> so, before the meeting, Viola, who set up the meeting, 
tries to get the boss to promise to not to fuck with the mayor. Something the boss is like, listen, I will fuck with whoever I want to. He immediately changes his mind when he opens the doors to the mayor's office and sees that Mayor Reynolds is actually Burt Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> I normally hate stunt casting, Alex. Mm-hmm. I do not hate this. Nope. How can you hate Burt Reynolds? How can you hate Burt Reynolds? And that is exactly what the boss says. The boss <laughs> is like, shit, it's Burt Re- I am such a fan. <laughs> what, would, what do you want me to do, sir? <laughs> so Burt is like, hey, listen, there's a zombie problem in our city. <laughs> and we need, we don't know what happened there, but we need somebody to deal with it. And like, Phil's like, there's a, a zombie problem now? And my favorite joke in the entire game, the boss goes like, yeah, I'll tell you about that later. It feels like, what the fuck did you do? (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. It's so good. So that gets up getting handled. Mm -hmm. And then now you can recruit Burt Reynolds as a homies, which is great. Technically, you have a choice to make. And one of the choices is you can recruit zombies. And the other choice is you can recruit Burt Reynolds, making it not really a choice. Yeah, you, you recruit Burt Reynolds. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This is handled, and things come to a head when the rest of the syndicate, stag, and the saints just get into a giant battle in the streets. As we find out that Kia, Cyrus's second-in-command, has kidnapped Burt Reynolds, Shanti, and Viola, and plans <laughs> to blow up on basically, like, the Statue of Liberty of Steelport, which is just basically mm-hmm. a giant steel worker, framing the saints as terrorists. At the same time, though, Kilbane is about to escape the city, and Angel wants him dead. You only have time to pick one option. And the answer is obviously save Burt Reynolds. Obviously. <laughs> it is literally the canonical ending. Yes. So you go to do that while holding out for a hero plays. <laughs> it's so good. And it is absolutely perfect. Oh, it rules. Mm-hmm. So you save them. You save all of them. And, like, Cyrus shows up and is like, we got you finally, Saints. We finally got you cornered. But then, like... The um, senator from earlier who was mad at the Saints for blowing at the bridge is like, yeah, you got them. And now we can tell them they're heroes. <laughs> <laughs> and Cyrus is like, you have to be fucking kidding me. And the senator's like, listen, you just try to blow up literally the Statue of Liberty of Steelport. <laughs> and they basically saved a bunch of people. They're heroes. You want to try to mess with them? You can. But it is not going to end well for either of us. Mm-hmm. So... Cyrus basically threatens the boss and says, one day I am going to come for you. I will get you. Mm-hmm. But in the end, the Saints are now heroes. And the game ends on the set of the film Gangsters in Space as the boss forgets <laughs> his lines. <laughs> now, if you do go with the other ending, uh, Shandi uh, does die. Pierce is upset and tells you if it, asks you if it was worth it. And then you get an additional mission where you blow up the helicarrier and kill Cyrus. Mm. Uh, once again, not the canonical ending, right? But it is a choice you can make. But and you do get to blow up the helicarrier, which is a cool mission. But that is Saints Row the Third. There are two additional pieces of DLC to this. Um, they're both bad. Mm. One is ga- is basically you having to do the film Gangsters in Space. Mm-hmm. Um, where, which does have funny moments where basically there's an actress who's just constantly being berated by like uh, the director and like the boss is just being like very supportive of her and her job uh-huh. Uh-huh. in a way that's like very out of character for him. And uh-huh. that ends up being like wrapping around to actually being kind of funny. Hmm. Um, and there's another piece of DLC that is just not good. 
good. So we're just not going to bother. It involves Professor Genki, which is a side activity. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. The one joke in the game that consistently does not land because it's basically, boy, anime's weird. So it's so weird, isn't it? It is so weird. Look at this cat. He's a murderer. Oh, dubbing is bad in anime shows. Huh. Yeah. Not all jokes in this game work. But yeah, that's Saints Row the Third. Excellent game. Love it. That leads us to Saints Row 4. A game that is is good. Mm-hmm. Yes. But it's also a game that was built out of an expansive DLC that then ended up getting turned into a full game, and boy, does it show. Yeah. It, it definitely, like, everything I've heard about is, yeah, this is fun, but, like, this does not feel like a proper successor to the last game. It doesn't. It, it feels like a glorified DLC. Mm-hmm. It really, really does. And... What's uh? Once I kind of get into it, I think you'll kind of understand why. Yeah. Also, another thing about this that I found very interesting is that it is, it is definitely set up to be like the finale of the series. Mm. There is a lot in this game where you literally get audio logs from characters who are long dead, explaining mm-hmm. their motivations and why they mm. did the things they did. Uh huh. Like you get an awful lot of Julius in this game, and Julius is very dead. Mm. Like, so just like stuff mm-hmm. like this, or like, do you want to know what Marrow's thoughts are when he was fighting the Saints? Right. Like, I guess. Like, it, it's actually, it's very, very neat. Uh huh. But it, it definitely gives you the feelings like, oh, this is definitely meant to be the last one of these. Right. So, also, I discovered something when I was looking into the plot of this game mm-hmm. that is very hilarious to me because okay. it concerns the development. Uh huh. And it's from um, a statement that uh, the THQ president, Jason Rubin, put out in 2012 when uh, THQ was on the ropes and they were desperate to get a new Saints Row thing out. Mm -hmm. So he was quoted as having expressed his distaste over Saints Row III's tone and crass humor. Uh Uh-huh. And he wanted that changed for future entries. Uh Uh-huh. He thought the game's presentation limited its potential audience, an audience that, you know, got them 6.2 million copies sold. Yeah, I was about to say, how about you stop shitting on the only game of yours that's selling? <laughs> yeah, but here's the thing. <laughs> he wanted it to be the, the Saints Row 4 to be the next, like, Red Dead Redemption or Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which, yeah, I'm sure you would want to sell a kajillion copies. I agree. Yeah, I'm I'm sure that you would. Yeah. However. <laughs> yeah. He, he further stated that Saints Row the Third was a product of the environment of the time at the time, which yes, pretty much all video games are that. Yes, good job. Yeah. Now he later claimed on Twitter that he had been misquoted, and that it was in fact the interview who should be embarrassed. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Did did he quote that from the remains of his dead company? Uh, I mean, considering that it was not going to be long after this that his company was going to die, basically should have been. <laughs> Yeah, so I saw that. It's not overly relevant to the tone of this no. game, which is just Saints Row the Third's tone. Yes. But I found it very, very funny, and I wanted to put it in here, so I did. So, Saints, if Saints Row the Third was the Fast Five of uh, the Saints Row games, where mm-hmm. it is still technically about gangs, but it right. is clearly insane, Saints Row... Four is definitely the one Fast and Furious movie where they go to space, which I think was the seventh one, maybe the eighth one. Seventh or eighth sounds about right. Yeah. Um, And in that, they literally do go to space in this one. So Mm -hmm. 
Pretty early, actually. Within an hour, yeah. <laughs> Within an hour of the game, they're in space. So they decide to basically take this to its logical end point in a way mm-hmm. that both works and does not work. Right. Like, they are clearly saw that they had a lot of success with the third game. Mm-hmm. And so they said, we need to replicate that. Right. Which is going to be a problem. Every yeah. Saints Row game up to this point, really, like, they've been iterative from each other, but I don't really feel like they were trying to replicate the previous game. Right. No, they were definitely looking at what things that worked last time, but going somewhere from there. Yeah, exactly. This one is the opposite. Right. Like, it is definitely going to build off of some concepts, but, like, as far as just, just tone, visual style, and everything, it's Saints Row the Third. Yeah. To the point they recycle jokes. Mm. Um, sometimes jokes sometimes that work and sometimes don't. Right. Um, they recycle musical cues. And my okay, they don't recycle musical cues, but the musical they do the same thing where it's like, oh man, we're gonna play power here as you just like jump down into onto this penthouse and start murdering everybody. They do that here with much less effect. Mm. Like they like, to the point that it's like far more on the nose. Like, right. Like, they literally play You Got the Touch at one point. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. Which is like, first off, just a lesser song in general. And two. Yes. It, mm. it, from the few that I've seen, they all feel much more like they are, like you said, it's on the nose and it's like, it's a reference. Yeah. It's not just that this is a cool, like, song to play for this cool thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is. It's almost like this is supposed to be another joke. Essentially, yeah, I think you essentially nailed it on the head there. And yeah, it, it for the most part, does not end up working. Yeah. Now, that isn't to say that some of their callbacks don't work. For instance, they do decide to have you and Pierce, well, the boss and Pierce, like, do a sing-along again in the car. Uh-huh. Which, once again, it's like, okay, well, you're going to just do that again. But the way it ends, ends up being incredibly funny. Because, uh-huh. like, or at least it does it to me. Because, like... It ends up ending with the main villain, an alien named Zinyak, who's like constantly uh-huh. in your head the entire game talking to you. Uh-huh. Decide to interject at the end of the song and basically sing it all wrong. <laughs> and so you and like the boss and Pierce just get so angry at this. <laughs> and you're just like, they ruined the song. This is the worst thing he's ever done. I we gotta we're gonna fucking kill him. <laughs> it is like the one point where like, that sort of thing actually works. Yeah, no, that that's a good because like it's calling back to the when you're singing in the car, but your one friend is doesn't know the song very well and they're mm-hmm. singing it wrong. Yeah, and you're like, God, no, now it's ruined. Now it's ruined. What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's so good. It's like there is stuff like that that does work. Uh, mm-hmm. Other things I do work is I think the interactions between the boss and the the crew actually is expanded upon in a way that is actually pretty good there's actually some Uh genuinely like like tense moments it's not just Mm. like joking and hanging out like they established Uh that saints row the third and that continues here but there's actually going to be moments where they're actually going to be angry at each other for instance Mm. and it's going to work okay um there is a lot of like the callbacks to like um previous characters in the saints row series that are going to be brought forward here are going to be done in a way that's going to work very well Mm-hmm. There's an incredibly good payoff with Shandi that is kind of insane what they do, <laughs> but it works so well hmm. that I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. And 
I will say that while they're going to make the very bad decision to place the game in a virtual version of Steelport, uh-huh. they are going to make the very good decision of giving you superpowers. Yes. Which it turns out, it's a lot of fun to have superpowers. It able, turns out. Yeah, being able to just fly and run incredibly quickly and have telekinesis powers and whatnot is a lot of fun. Um, it, it makes it very funny the few times they do put you back in a car because you're like, uh. Uh-huh. Well, the, the other thing I always heard about this is how hilarious it is that they did the typical Grand Theft Auto Saints Row thing of licensing a whole bunch of music to play in the car, mm-hmm. and then you never get in the car. Yeah, that's right. You never do. So it's just there, like somewhere else, as you jump and fly around buildings and run at mock speed through the streets mm-hmm. on foot. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. So yeah, yeah, it's like there's definitely a lot of things in Saints Row that uh, Saints Row Four that works out pretty well. Its overall missions are also a lot weaker than Saints Row the Third, uh, but that is there are once again some things in there that just hit really really hard, and it's usually right. when you're recruiting your crew members again. Mm-hmm. But with that, we should just kind of jump into the plot of Saints Row Four. So the game starts with a passive narrator who sounds like basically like a vaguely British woman. Mm-hmm. It sounds like somebody trying to do a British accent and oh. failing hard. <laughs> and they're gonna, she's gonna pop up throughout the game. She's like has like a very literary sort of tone to her and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, very old timey, almost like nineteenth century sort of vernacular. Uh, that is going to be incredibly relevant at the end of the game. Mm. And she basically details who the Third Street Saints even are, how they went from a low level street gang who was teetering between murderous gangsters to more whimsical figures who one day. They just decided to have fun, leading to the Saints we saw in Saints Row the Third. Mm-hmm. Like I said earlier, this feels like the end of the series, and the game opens right. up with basically a short version of the d- developer's design e- ethos of the entire series. Mm-hmm. Like being like, well, we started out with Murderous Gang, and then we moved to Whimsical Figures. Yep. Like, it's kind of interesting, really. Mm-hmm. So, the game basically, the game actually starts with the Saints on a military helicopter in tactical gear, because it turns out they've been hired by MI6 to assassinate Cyrus <laughs> for the previous game. So he went rogue after the Saints were declared heroes and now plans to launch a nuke with Islamic terrorists to get his revenge. Okay. It's this mission is a weird Call of Duty Metal Gear parody. It's right. very yep. strange. Mm-hmm. So the boss kills Cyrus. He jumps on the nuclear missile after it launches like it's like Contra or something. Mm-hmm. As all the members of the Saints say goodbye to the boss, who is totally going to die here, except he doesn't. <laughs> this makes him so popular that he's elected as president of the United States of America. <laughs> <laughs> so this next segment is unironically great. Yes. Because you start out in the White House, which is now called the White Crib. Of course. Pierce is his communications director. Kinsey is his put-upon press secretary. <laughs> Shawnee is the head of the Secret Service. And Benjamin King, remember him? The former leader of the Vice Kings and Julius's friend? He's back. He's your chief of staff. (laughs) And the vice president is Keith David, the voice actor for Julius, who in this universe is a man who has conquered acting and is now taking his talents to politics. Keith David is a lot of fun in this, by the way. He's great, yeah. Like, there's a really good running joke about how everyone keeps mistaking him for Julius because... Uh Uh-huh. Joyce's likeness was actually based off of Keith David's. Mm. And of course, Keith David has only one voice, so he sounds like mm-hmm. Julius. Yes. So, back to your first interaction with Keith David, Keith David is like, 
you have one important decision to make. It's like, listen, Mr. President, we don't even have one bill we can put through Congress. You can either cure cancer or solve world hunger. The cancer bill, by the way, is called Fuck Cancer. <laughs> <laughs> so, despite this, the boss's approval ratings are in the toilet. Mostly because he's saying things like, I am, quote, the patriot state of America. We should probably look into changing the Pledge of Allegiance to one nation under me and other things. <laughs> So the boss is about to get a press conference to address these issues when he is told, hey, listen, MI6 is waiting for you in the Oval Office. Apparently, aliens are about to invade. And the <laughs> boss is like, really? And then aliens invade. <laughs> <laughs> so the Zin Empire is here to enslave humanity under their leader, Zinyak. <laughs> so he immediately starts kidnapping all the saints, including Keith David. So after jumping into a gun emplacement that wouldn't be out of place of, in Metal Wolf Chaos, the boss gets into a huge big fight with Zinyak that ends poorly. He gets beat mm -hmm. up and captured. So Zinyak is an alien who kind of looks like a gray, essentially. Mm -hmm. Who, like, in, like, kind of like Shao Kahn armor, actually. And mm -hmm. his big thing is that he is a very... He's like a British thespian as an alien. Uh-huh. He is certainly ruthless, but he really loves literature. Um, and in fact, the reason why he found Earth is that he discovered Earth literature and basically just kind of went to Earth to like kind of hang out for a bit mm -hmm. and then decided this would be a cool place for the Zin Empire to conquer. So that's kind of like his entire deal. Okay. Uh, he gets constantly exasperated at the boss for not knowing things about literature or just generally not being <laughs> smart. Right. Uh, and ends up respecting Kinsey an awful lot because of that, because she mm -hmm. actually knows things. Okay. So, the boss wakes up in a weird 1950s sitcom where the boss ends up quickly learning he's in a simulation and tries to escape. Zaniac decides to punish him by sending his minions to just torture the saints in a recreation of Steelport and explicitly tells him not to escape or he'll blow up the earth. So the boss immediately is like, well, I need to escape then. <laughs> and so Kinsey gets in contact with him and through her hacking gives the boss superpowers or at least at this point matrix superpowers like running mm -hmm. fast and jumping high the boss uses these powers to escape the simulation and he wakes up in a pod because once again this is literally just the matrix at this point right yep it's almost like it was built off of a DLC called Enter the Dominatrix that was just supposed <laughs> to be a matrix parody weird weird so the boss gets cornered by a bunch of aliens uh, just for a spaceship to show up and a gun-toting Keith, David, and Kizzy to show up <laughs> shoot a bunch of aliens. The boss jumps onto the ship and they barely escape. So they start flying back to Earth to get some reinforcements just to see the Earth get blown up. Almost like Zinyak warned him about that. Mm. Killing Oleg, Matt Burke, Viola, and 7 billion people. <laughs> So the Saints Whoops. decide they need to get revenge on this, and they need to get all of their crew back together. So I talked about how, like, the jokes in this game sometimes don't land nearly as well as Saints Row the Third does. Mm -hmm. There is one joke I want to give to a, a shout-out to. Yeah. On your ship, there is a Mass Effect joke that uh, is so good. Yes, okay, I'm familiar with this one. You can go up to any one of your crew... And you can press a button that's just called romance option. <laughs> and it's just basically you just end up sleeping with your crew member. Yes. It's really, it's good. It is a funny <laughs> little joke that involves, like, that just basically is ribbing Mass Effect. Mm -hmm. That, as somebody who loves Mass Effect, I absolutely like. 
Yes. Me describing it probably doesn't do it justice, but you just had to be there back in 2013 or so. The the abruptness of the writing really sells it. Mm-hmm. That they're just like, all right, let's do this. Yep. Yeah, because you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to go to like, like a romance subplot with like Kinsey and it's like, hey, Kinsey. And she's like, yeah, let's have sex. And you just do. <laughs> and you just repeat it ad infinitum with every one of your crew members. Except Keith David. Yeah, funny. Yeah. So yeah, um, you decide, so the boss decides that they're going to go back into the simulation and free their crew members. And as this is starting up, the narrator from before tells us how this was the start of the fall of the Zen Empire. And had Zinyak not blown up the Earth, it wouldn't have led to the release of the most dangerous man in human history, <laughs> Johnny Gatt. <laughs> <laughs> right, we got to get there. Yep. That, th- there's some good stuff with Johnny in this. Mm-hmm. So you began rescuing your crew in some admittedly interesting ways, like you have to play a text adventure to rescue Matt Miller, for instance. Mm. Um, Johnny is rescued after reliving Johnny Gas death on the plane. Like they go, mm. like, "Oh, we're gonna go rescue Johnny now," and instead, it's just you actually getting Shandy, who's basically having post-traumatic stress disorder, right. like scenes and whatnot. Uh, Shandy's deal is gonna be very interesting in this, and we're gonna get to that. But mm-hmm. in the meantime, like, finish rescuing Shandy. You actually have to fight a digital version of Veteran Child. Right. Only to find out you rescued a different Shandy. A Shandy that's from Saints Row 2 that is just called Cool Shandy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that one kind of lands. Oh, it lands so hard. So, real Shandy, a.k.a. Angry Shandy, is fused to Cool Shandy, but eventually breaks apart. Leaving okay. real Shandy and a digital cool Shandy who immediately get into a fight where because like cool Shandy is like, man, I didn't realize I'm I eventually become such a bitch. <laughs> and like real Shandy's like, hey, I actually grew up and developed a media empire and started actually cl- like washing my hair and stopped just smoking <laughs> weed all day. And she's like, maybe you should smoke more weed. Maybe it'll calm you down. It's like, it's really, really good. Mm. And like the boss, like is like during its, the entire time, is like, I think it was cool when he did drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so we should talk about cool versus angry Shandi a bit because a lot of this mm-hmm. is born out from the fan reaction to Shandi and Saints Row the Third, right? And being upset that she didn't act like Shandi from Saints Row Two, mm-hmm. seemingly like ignoring the part where basically the big brother she looked up to, Johnny, died. Mm-hmm. Which, honestly, I don't blame him for, like, missing that, because that's, like, the only moment where any sort of consequence happens in that game to the Saints. <laughs> right. And, and it wasn't super built... I feel like their relationship wasn't super built up in the last one. It was not, no. So, like, the fact that that happens in the first 15 minutes mm-hmm. of the third one, and you're supposed to, like, draw a lot of context from that, it's like, eh. Yeah, it's kind of like... really give that one time to breathe. Yeah, they they really don't. So I, I totally get it. But in this game, there's a there's like a lot of like almost like loyalty missions, which mm-hmm. we're not going to really get into because this is going to be a long enough episode as is. Right. But like one of them is that cool and angry Shandi hang out and basically kind of reconcile the two halves of themselves. Mm. Of Shandi being like, well, I moved on from that part of my life because I realized that I was more or less getting nothing done which was distinctly not true from what I remember in Saints Row 2, mm. where you're the only competent person. <laughs> um, but, like, her thing is, like, well, you know, 
we had a media empire. I had to help run that. I that meant I had to kind of clean up my appearance and whatnot and stop smoking so much weed. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, you know, I kind of miss my dreadlocks. They're easy to clean. And yeah, like I'm kind of an asshole to all my friends now. And that's mm. not cool either. You know, I shouldn't take out my feelings about Johnny on everyone else. Mm -hmm. And like they have like a really good like heart to heart like with that that I think actually kind of resolves that difference between the character in a way that never really was addressed in Saints Row the Third. Yeah. It is interesting that the writers seem to very iteratively get where they want with their character writing. Mm -hmm. That like some of them, especially by Saints Row the Third, you kind of have everyone not being an asshole all the time, which means you can make interesting interpersonal relationships and build on them. Yeah. Yeah, you that's yeah, exactly. Like given yeah, given where they just start out as either cardboard cutouts or just assholes or character trait. The mm -hmm. fact that they are willing to like it's weird because yeah, they like they moderate their characters in a series that is going the opposite direction for moderation. Right. Yes. And it ends up working out so well because of that. And like it that stuff is like reflected in those like uh voice clips that you can find of like various characters like Donnie and uh um, actually, Donnie's not in this at all. Uh, he he mm. shows up later in one of the DLCs, but uh -huh. like uh, Benjamin King or Marrow or even Veteran Child and his like mm -hmm. experiences dealing with the Semedi and whatnot, um, and like the way that they are like willing to actually start exploring nuance in those characters when for three games they were actually pretty unwilling to do so is uh kind of yeah yeah it's interesting how like yeah each game gets iteratively gets them closer to being fully fleshed out characters that they eventually arrive to in saints road four yeah and it it is interesting because at least playing through three what they managed to do there does ground the game in a way that two was not grounded yeah even though three has objectively more insane inhuman stuff going on mm-hmm yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it's it's that thing where it's like as long as you have like something you can hold on to, it's it's easy to like you get, you can anchor everything else around it, right? Right. Saints Row Two, Saints Row Two never bothered with that. Where Saints Row the Third had your entire crew to do that with. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you're right. It totally ends up working out when you're doing things like yeah, crashing through an airplane window and whatnot, or you know, dropping statues on people and having it roll down the street or what happened. Right. Yeah, it totally ends up working. I think, like, a good example in 3 is the mission where you have to go board the aircraft carrier. Mm. And on the one hand, it's, yeah, we're going to go, like, sneak onto an aircraft carrier and then shoot our way through it and blow it up. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it's, yeah, we got to go rescue Shandi. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and, like, the grounding guy continues out throughout the mission is you, like, banter with your with your crewmates and whatnot. And, mm -hmm. like, basically, like, since you're, like, pretending to be Cyrus and whatnot, you know, doing, like, a bunch of militarisms, like, to... To like Pierce and whatnot, he's like, man, just shut up. Right. Yeah, like it ends up working really well. So that whole thing happens with Shandi. Uh, Pierce is rescued after he's attacked by various IPs the Saints own. <laughs> uh, ben King's one is very interesting because to get Ben King back, the boss has to go back to the opening cutscene of Saints Row 2006. Ah, uh, <laughs> mm hmm. Like, there's a funny callback to where the boss reminisces about how he was new and too scared to talk. Mm -hmm. As you wander around the old Saints Row church and see a bunch of right. stuff from the first game you can interact with. Uh, one thing I want to mention is that almost throughout this like entire game, the boss, when he's in missions, is almost exclusively talking to uh, Kinsey. Mm. 
Kinsey is basically the point person he goes to constantly and right. may have the second most lines after the boss in this game. Because mm. she's yeah, the one. That's... Yeah, because like she's the one who's doing all the hacker stuff and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And is the one that is like going to be sparring with uh, Zinyak like mm-hmm. all throughout it. Like this is where she gets elevated from side character to major character. Right, right. Like almost a co-main character in a way. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, yeah. So, like, uh, eventually you find Benjamin King. He's being constantly killed by a digital version of Tanya from the first game. Mm. Uh, eventually, you end up freeing him. Uh, you find one of the MI6 members, uh, Asha, who was actually in the very first mission in this game, but uh, fortunately doesn't. She's she's angry at the boss for okay be, being basically a happy-go-lucky murder person. That, that's okay. kind of her character. <laughs> it. Uh-huh. It, it's a thing where since every other character has had like two to three games at minimum to mm-hmm. build who they are, they kind of introduce Asha, and so she doesn't have much room to grow in a cast that's already very big. Right. She's just kind of there. She's just kind yeah. of angry MI6 British lady. Uh-huh. So they find out that Gat is actually alive, like actually, actually alive, and they're going to go mm-hmm. in and save him. But Asha and Matt think this is a terrible idea. Basically because they'll reveal their ship to Zinyak. And like mm-hmm. Matt's like, you know, I got I got I gotta tell him. I gotta tell him. And Kinsey's like, no, please don't. And so Matt's like, I think saving Johnny's a bad idea. And so the boss just gets out of the chair that like the little matrix chair and just starts beating the piss out of Matt. He's like, How dare you? This is my friend. I gotta rescue him. And so as mentioned previously, this game does a very good job of exploring every character, what their deal ultimately is, in a way that Saints mm-hmm. Row never really bothered with before. Mm-hmm. They're going to do the same with the boss here. Because mm. you see, the boss is a sociopathic asshole who honestly has just been vibing through life, doing whatever without regard for anyone's feelings. Right. That's been the one constant throughout these four games. Uh-huh. Now, in previous games, with the exception of Julius, this was written off as a, oh, <laughs> Yeah, you're such an asshole. He's a crazy guy. Yeah, but in this game, it's more, no, you're an asshole. Mm-hmm. You're, it's like that one, I think everyone's had this friend, or at least known somebody in like high school or college, where mm-hmm. they're fun to be around to an extent, but you know they're kind of just an asshole. Right. And eventually you grow up and decide you don't want to deal with that anymore. Right, and I think it's interesting that they deal with that in the same game that they bring Julius back, who mm-hmm. was the one person to call him out on it. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like, yeah, so that the fact that they're going to, they're happy to kind of like revisit that and whatnot and use the boss as that kind of like particular character is pretty interesting mm-hmm. to me because yeah. they're not wrong. Mm-hmm. Like the boss in this is not as fun as he was in Saints Row the Third. Like, his actions directly led to the Earth getting blown up, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Kinsey, when she's being press sector Terry, is having to, like, explain why the boss is making incredibly outlandish statements is clearly in a mode where she just hates her job. Like, you can definitely tell that all that all their friends are very put upon. Mm-hmm. And so Kinsey is like, hey, listen, I'm going to put a bow on this and basically point all this out. Like, after Matt pu- gets, gets punched out by saying... Hey, listen, you're about to put a target on humanity's last hope, which is us. I'll have to rescue somebody who half of us have never met. And the mm. only reason that we're helping you is because we can't rescue our friends like Oleg and Viola because they're already dead. Mm-hmm. So maybe you could just say thank you for 
So maybe you just tell us, thank you for giving me the hope that you'll never have, right? Or mm -hmm. will never have. And so the boss is like, damn. Mm. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. And so he picks up Matt and says, hey, listen, dude, I'm sorry. And Matt's like, hey, listen, I kind of tried to kill you last game. <laughs> I could probably forgive a few punches. And so everyone is cool now. So the boss goes in to rescue Gat, and it turns out Gat's mind is in a Streets of Rage Double Dragon parody <laughs> that is using a 16-bit filter over the 3D models that somehow huh. works. Huh. Yeah, no, like, I actually highly recommend looking this up because they built a beat-em-up, and, like, it's a very Tekken Force-like level of, like, huh, yeah, this works well, a lot better than it should, and... It's a really well done parody. Like, mm -hmm. it starts with uh, uh, Aisha from uh, Saints Row One and Two getting punched in the stomach and being carried away <laughs> a la Marion. Uh huh. While the voiceovers are like stilted in just the right way. Like, um, Daniel D. Kim does Johnny Gat's voice in like a very stilted way, in a way that's like very reminiscent of like very mm -hmm. bad dubbing from these games in the early 90s. Right. Like, at the end of every, there's three stages, and at the end of every stage, Johnny Cat yells, I'm bad, while lifting his fist in the air, just like in Bad Dudes. It's just mm -hmm. so good. The, the, during the entire time, the boss is trying to convince Johnny that Aisha's dead, and like Johnny is like, you are pissing me off. We gotta go rescue Aisha. And so like, you make your way through the missions, and you get to the last one, and you watch as 16-bit Aisha is killed. So eventually, like, the boss is like, wait, what if we just reset the simulation and I just save her real quick? Mm. So, you do that and this causes like the simulation to break apart, but it does wake up Johnny. And so you have to fight your way through Xenix Mothership to find him as they're all freaking out that Special Prisoner 31 has now gone out. Mm. And you eventually do find a naked goo-covered Johnny as he picks up a pair of sunglasses and puts it on and it's, as he's surrounded by dead aliens. And it's like, hell yeah, Johnny's back. <laughs> So, Johnny explains that in Saints Row the Third, where he was supposed to die, instead of what ha instead of him being getting killed, he actually fought off everybody just for Zeniac to show up and kidnap him instead. Because it turns out Zeniac identified him as the one warrior who couldn't who would stop him. Like if he left Johnny alive, he could not do any of his plans. Mm -hmm. Which leads to this funny scene where like Pierce goes like. Oh yeah, Zeniac thinks uh, he's tough for you, boss. And boss is like, uh, oh, it's like, <laughs> I'm sad. I thought I was the toughest person. <laughs> so, regardless, everyone is happy to get Johnny back. So Ben King has now come up with a plan to take down Zeniac by overloading the simulation. But before that can happen, they are ambushed in the simulation by Zeniac's forces. Zeniac sh like then shows up and also kidnaps Kinsey because Kinsey's like the one person who can stop him. Mm -hmm. Back on the ship, the boss finds out that. Aisha and Matt have betrayed the team. He's like, I can't believe I shaked Matt's hand and said, I'm sorry. And then Johnny's like, actually, they're just knocked out in this locker. And then the boss is like, wait a second. Oh, no. And the narrator basically like, goes in and is like, yeah, the Saints couldn't realize that one of their friends had betrayed him. It turns out it was going to be for a good reason, but they couldn't possibly know that at the time. As the boss says, and then the boss says, Keith David is a dead man. <laughs> <laughs> a line that in any context is just great it's just great and i say that as a person who likes keith david it's just a funny oh, yeah. thing to say it's it's hilarious that is a hilarious statement yeah <laughs> so you 
go after Keith David, and in back in the simulation, <laughs> Keith David, who's wearing a Dracula cape for some reason, <laughs> is preaching that humanity and the Zen should come together for peace. The boss confronts Keith David and finds out that Keith betrayed the boss because Zeniac promised to bring Earth back if he killed the boss. He says, what's one life for the greater good? Which the boss says, you just sound, that's just something like Julius would say. And Keith David says, Julius was right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so, it's so good. So the boss gets restrained by a bunch of aliens and is getting beat up. And he starts playing with Keith David to save him, which causes Keith David to have a change of heart and save the boss. So as punishment, he trashed Keith David in another simulation that is literally just the movie They Live. <laughs> Those of you don't remember, They Live is a movie where Keith incredibly just steroided out Keith David <laughs> is basically dealing with aliens alongside Rowdy Roddy Piper. And mm-hmm. there's a big famous scene in there where they get into just an incredibly over-the-top fight that goes on forever. Mm. This is just, this mission is just that scene. <laughs> And so you team up with Rowdy Roddy Piper in order to get him back. Um, Rowdy Roddy Piper, of course, being a wrestler who's mm. absolutely awesome. Rest in peace. Yeah. So eventually you do get Keith David back and he agrees to join your team again. And this leads to another one of my favorite lines in the game where boss is sad because like Rowdy, Piper has to stay back in a simulation. And the boss is like, man, I'm sad. I can't call Roddy Piper for help. And Keith David says, you don't call Roddy for help. He just shows up where he's needed most. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, hell yeah. Yeah. So the boss finds eventually does locate Kinsey in a 50 simulation because they want to reuse that, I guess. Sure. Um, you managed to break her I, out. Oh, go ahead. I will say, like, obviously it sucks that this game was developed under the circumstances it was. Mm-hmm. And they had to just reuse a lot of stuff. They do a good job of reusing things, I feel like. They do. Yes. Like, it sucks that they're doing Steelport again, but they mm-hmm. do give you superpowers that does radically alter how you navigate that city, right? Yeah. Like, it sucks that they kind of have to bring back a lot of, like, old assets from the older games. Right. But it's kind of cool in a way where they do, like, a lot of, like, wrapping up of character arcs. Yeah. Re-exploring them with expanded context. Yeah, this is... A lot of the failures of Saints Row, 4, Saints Row 4 are based upon the fact that they had to take a DLC and expand it out into a full mm-hmm. game and had two years to do it, right? Right. Like, they make the most of what they got. Yeah. So There's a reason why people still do like this game. Mm-hmm. The boss finds Kinsey, breaks out the 50 simulation using the power of rock and roll. Like, basically mm. causes people to dance and they go like, you can't dance in the 50s, and <laughs> that causes her to break out. So now the Saints can finally enact Ben King's plan, which is to overload the simulation and allow the Saints to assault Zaniac's mothership. So the boss gets a hold of... So they do that. They have to get on, this ho- get on the ship. The boss gets a hold of power armor, which gives them superpowers in the real world. And that's when you got the touch plays, which is okay. a little too on the nose. Yeah. So in Zaniac's throne room, like they exchange quotes from Shakespeare. And by trade quotes, I mean Zaniac quotes Shakespeare... And the boss quotes it back, and he's like, ooh, so you actually know that. And then <laughs> the boss goes, no, Kenzie just told me it's over the radio. <laughs> and Zaniac goes, god damn it. Okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> Let's just get into a giant fight. 
And so they get into a giant fight. Eventually, Zaniac is just beaten to hell and back. Like, he gets suplexed and whatnot. He gets punched out while the Zen Empire watches. And eventually, it ends with his getting his head ripped off. So the Zen Empire is defeated. The boss sits on the Zaniac's throne as the rest of the Zen Empire bows to the boss. The boss then asks his new personal steward if it's possible to restore Earth. But she finds out it's impossible. But what is possible is time travel. Ah. Uh. Now, you're probably thinking, oh, so they're going to go just change history, right? Wrong. They're going to go to different historical periods and introduce different <laughs> historical figures to basically the, basically the Third Street Saints and recruit them. <laughs> so you basically get an ending sequence that is basically like Johnny Gat at the Pyramids. <laughs> Being like, isn't the Florida League cool? <laughs> It's really great, and once again, it feels like, yeah, they're wrapping it up here. Mm-hmm. And after the credits, the boss learns that Zeniac was collecting humans throughout history, and they decide to dethaw one of them, and we learn who the narrator was, Jane Austen herself. So Jane Austen oh. is a member of the Third Street Saints. Sure. That's fun. Yeah, it's fun. So, good game overall. Good mm-hmm. ending to this series. Now, there's quite a bit of DLC for Saints Row 4. We're not going to go over all of it because one of it is actually very substantial. Mm. But the two that I am going to go over are the Christmas DLC, where the boss learns the true meaning of Christmas. Okay. And the more interesting DLC, which is Enter the Dominatrix. Hmm. This one's okay. fun. Because this is... This one is... What is Saints Row 4? It was actually the DLC it was always meant to be. Mm-hmm. And how they present it is very interesting. It is basically a documentary that one of the um, reporters that's all throughout the Saints game, uh, Jane Valderrama, mm-hmm. basically she interviews uh, the the crew of the Third Street Saints and Zaniac and whatnot and be like, who was entered the Dominatrix? And they're like, yeah, man, that was a crazy thing that Saints Row 4 was supposed to be. It was a complete <laughs> mess. We're really glad what Saints Row 4 was, but we can fill you in on what this is. Uh-huh. So you're basically going through the incomplete DLC of uh, Enter the Dominatrix. Huh. Yes. Now, they basically go like, okay, it was supposed to take place in an alternate timeline where you don't shave Sandy at the end of Saints Row 3. And so you're instead you're going off of that ending instead. Okay. Yeah. And like, the cutscenes are basically uh, animatics of mm-hmm. like... Basically, like, you know, of, like, what the scenes were supposed to be. So you get a bunch of, like, drawings of, like, all this third series states and whatnot, like, what uh-huh. they were supposed to be doing. It's, like, really, really... It's a really interesting way of doing it. Yeah, that's very creative. Yeah. And, hmm. and once again, it's very tongue-in-cheek because, yeah, basically every mission is, like, narrated by, like, a different member of the Third Street Saints. Is like, as far as, mm-hmm. like, well, this is what it was supposed to be. This right. This is what it ended up changing to. Right. Um, developer walkthrough, but via in-game characters. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one of the characters, oddly enough, is Donnie uh, huh. from the first two games, who's like, yeah, I'm uh-huh. supposed to play a big part in here, basically be like like the Oracle from like the Matrix and whatnot, but my character got mm-hmm. cut at the last minute, so you don't <laughs> see me show up at all, except for the animatics. <laughs> so, the long story show, short is that Zinac invades one year after Saints Row 3, and the Saints, including Shandi, have to fight them. I, I know what you're saying. Wait, Shandi was supposed to die. Right. And the game goes, don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> so they eventually kill Zinyak, and then the AI controlling the Steelport simulation becomes sentient and is called the Dominatrix. Uh, once again, Donnie shows up 
briefly to give the scene superpowers before being cut from the DLC. You then kill the dominatrix, and all of a sudden, Pierce shows up with the Velociraptor King, <laughs> the rivals of the Zin, who you ride back right on their backs to escape the simulation. As a reward for saving the universe, in an animatic that basically just parodies the end of Star Wars A New Hope, uh-huh. you basically walk up to get rewarded by the Raptor King, which includes Shandi marrying the Raptor King, Kinsey getting revenge, and the boss goes bowling with him. And okay. that is the Enter the Dominatrix. <laughs> it's very silly. Yeah, that... Hmm. So, yeah. Now, there is going to be one more DLC released in 2015, Get Out of Hell, which is actually going to set up the last canonical, I guess you could call it, Saints Row game, Ages mm-hmm. of Mayhem. But that's going to be for next time, as we cover Get Out of Hell, Ages of Mayhem, and then their reboot from 2022, Saints Row... Alex, how are you feeling? Uh, I feel good. These are very fun games, and I think they're they're generally well-made and well-executed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they really are. And, like, going over the plots and, like, watching gameplay footage from these, uh, from Saints Row 3 and 4, like, really reminded me, it's like, yeah, I did have a really good time with these games. Mm-hmm. Like, especially yeah, sure. Saints Row 3. Especially yeah. that one. Um, and it... To the point that it doesn't really feel like this is probably not true, but it feels like they don't make games like that anymore. Kind of, yeah. I mean, there's. I I think it's with every generation, it gets harder to make games like that. Yeah. But it, Saints Row the Third is one of the most video game video games ever to video game. It really is. It's like, hey, what what do you want to do in a video game? Uh, ride hanging from a helicopter and blow up other helicopters. Mm-hmm. That sounds fun to do. Yep. Yeah, we should definitely, yeah, have to, like, you know, have to skydive and steal a bunch of, like, parachutes and constantly have to do that. Yeah, and, like, there's definitely some, like, dated humor bits that are, like, all throughout that. that oh, for sure. That, like, you know, don't work nowadays. And not from a, oh, man, you just, you just can't do that anymore. Humor is censored sort of way, but more of a just our taste and humor have evolved as yes. a society. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, Zemo's... I, I, I'm pretty sure I laughed at Zemos in the uh, mm. back all the way back in 2011, mm-hmm. but I I'm not sure his one note character really works now. Yeah, yeah, not really. Yeah, so but it, like it, it's even the little things like in Saints for the Third, they give you the they give you the penthouse as your hideout, but they basically give you the whole skyscraper. Yep. And as part of that, you know, you have your vehicle garage, of course, and that's on the ground floor or in the basement and then you drive out on the ground floor. Mm. But, you know, you also get helicopters and VTOL jets. So there's also a helicopter pad mm-hmm. on the top of it. Um, but they also just let you call whatever vehicle mm-hmm. onto the helicopter pad. Yep. Which means when you get your motorcycles to turn into hover bikes... They were like, hey, do you want to just summon that on the top floor, drive off and fall 50 stories down and then deploy the hover mode at the last second and pull up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can do that. Yeah, because it's cool. Because that's fun to do. It absolutely is. And yeah, it's it's like you just said, it's the most video game game that has ever video gamed. Yeah. And yeah, games don't games aren't really that anymore. Or at least yeah. the ones that are like argue Fortnite actually is like that uh in, yeah. in many senses they're just <laughs> uh-huh. so much different now yes you would have to pay for that hover bike 
Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, it's too bad that it's like that, but hey, you know, that's the evolution of video games. Yeah. But yeah. Alex, do you have any final thoughts? I have a really random final thought. Okay. That was born of you keep, like, comparing the series to Fast and the Furious. Mm-hmm. And just think, it just struck me randomly, man, what a wild transformation to reception of Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift has gone through. Oh, yeah. Because, like, when that came out, it was reviled and lambasted as, wow, look at this fucking dead series. Mm-hmm. Just writhing on the ground, going through its death row. What is this ridiculous crap you're shoving in our face? Yeah, like little bow wow and, for some reasons in there. No yeah. Vin Diesel. Yeah. And, and then Fast and the Furious 4 came out. And I think that was the signal of like, oh, we should probably stop taking Fast and the Furious so seriously because this movie kind of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe we should just have fun with this series. Maybe we just should. Yeah. And then it just be, then Tokyo Drift just kind of became like the WrestleMania sign of the series. It was like one day the timeline's going to catch up to that movie. <laughs> yeah, right. Eventually they get there and Han's going to die. <laughs> or will he at this point? I mean, it, it turns out nobody actually dies in Fast and Furious. You just come it back two out. movies later. Yeah, turns out. Is even Gal Gadot's character is back now? Yeah. A character whose name I cannot be bothered to remember, apparently. Yeah, she's Gal Gadot. Yeah. It's, it's, just, it's just the Marvel comics of racing movies. It, it totally is. It totally is. And yeah, because of all that, like, Fast and Furious, yeah, Tokyo Drift's, like, reputation has, like, done a complete 180 now. Yeah. Kind of like Saints Row 2, oddly enough. Kind of, yeah. It's, it's just like, man, that movie was fun. Mm-hmm. Ah, fun. Yep. Yeah, it's... These these series are a weird parallel of each other, and in Mm -hmm. much the same way uh, that Fast and Furious is... Well, Saints Row eventually is going to become like, okay, we don't... All right, they're in hell. All right, I don't know if we need this. Uh, Yeah. Fast and Furious also has gotten to that point, so... (laughs) Funny how that works. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Alex, thank you for doing this with me, as always. Of course. And for you, the viewer... If you want to listen to other episodes of Fallen Through Plot Holes, go to ftp.podbean.com or search for Fallen Through Plot Holes on your podcast service of choice. Uh, you can also find us on YouTube. Just search for Fallen Through Plot Holes and you'll find us there. And there'll also be a link in the description, uh, usually about one week after the episode goes up. Uh, you can also uh, leave us a like, review, and comments because we always like to hear your feedback. And you can also do so via our email address at Fallen through potholes at gmail.com, which is also located in the description of the episode. Uh, you should tell us what your favorite uh, character that just randomly came, came back to the dead to much fanfare is in that. Is it going to be Han from the Fast and Furious series? Is it going to be inevitably Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man when he comes back to Marvel I Comics? Don't, I don't want that. Don't. Please don't. They're threatening to, based upon that Variety article that came out recently. It's, it was such a good conclusion to that character. You don't, there's nothing else to do. There's nowhere to go. Don't do it. There absolutely isn't. There absolutely isn't, but you know they're going to do it. Why give up Why give up all that money, Alex? Uh, yeah. Don't tell us it's that one. Or do tell us that one. I don't know. Uh, you make the choice. You're You're allowed to have your own feelings about things you are you definitely are you definitely are i will just tell you you're wrong yes 
<laughs> but yeah, with that, take care, everybody. Take care.